Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Honored to worship with you all uh, tonight. Uh, our prayer is that you would continue to hang with us. We know we are in the summertime. And we know that there's a lot of stuff going on, but we do want to remind you of our first Tuesday. That's when we gather together as a church. Now we're going to do it a little bit differently this year, or rather this month, because what we're doing is we are going to be gathering and listening to Mark Evan Diaz's Worship EP. Now that one of the songs... <laughs> One of the songs you just heard uh, is from that uh, EP. And we just pray that not, it's not just about Mark uh, as an individual. It's the worship that he's going to be able to bring and the intimacy with God that we pray that he brings about. So please join us Tuesday night, 730 on our Facebook account. It's going to be a great time for us to be able to just hear from the Lord and worship together as a church. Now, we are in John chapter seven. Now, John chapter seven is a really cool chapter that I'm excited to kind of unpack the context of because a lot of it I didn't know before. But one of the things you have to understand is that in John chapter seven, uh, Jesus is gonna be communicating to a community that was very accustomed to the concept of a drought. Now, as far as we're concerned, we've really never been in a drought. Last major drought we had was in the 1930s. Now, 2020 is looking at at me like, don't play with me. I can do this. But the reality is that we've really never experienced a drought. But Jesus was communicating to a crowd of people that were accustomed to droughts seasonally. So because of that, Jesus speaks in such a way to capture the attention of a people that had that in mind. Now you have to understand that during a drought, the water that they would be that you would normally see in the rivers, lakes, and streams would all be gone. You'd look on the ground and the ground would be cracked open because it was so dry. No vegetation, no fruit, no cooking, right? And so the other thing that would happen is there would be no water in the cisterns. There'd be no water to drink. And so the entire community knows the depth of needing water. The other thing that happens from a lack of water is just dehydration. The fact of the matter is your body is made up of 60% of water. If you didn't eat or drink, if you had nothing else to eat or drink, you would die from dehydration before you died of starvation because your body needs water that bad. The fact is, is that if you were dehydrating to the point of death, your, 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 your tongue would get real thick, your throat would begin to burn, and the sun that's out there would begin to feel like it's inside of your body because your body would begin to cry out for water. And eventually you would just lay on the ground and you would burn up inside and eventually you would die. And the only reason this is happening is because it won't rain. Now, whether you were monotheistic whether you believed in God, whether you were polytheistic, you believed in many gods, everybody knew, regardless of what you believed in, we needed the rainmaker to make it rain. And so all the people at that time were sitting to themselves thinking, how do we get this rainmaker to move? How do we get him to provide the sustenance that we need? 
And what Jesus does here is what he's done throughout all of John. He's taking a moment in the culture. He's looking at a moment where the culture is paying attention to something. And he is telling them the same way that you are paying attention and giving energy to bread, the same way you're paying attention and giving energy to water, I want that attention. And he is gonna call himself the living water. The fact of the matter is that Jesus still speaks to us today in this concept of living water. Because though we have never been in a physical drought, Many of us planted a seed of the kind of education that we thought would provide the kind of life we thought we'd have. We planted that educational seed, but we're not seeing the provisional fruit we saw years later. We, we were faithful. We planted a seed of being a good boy, a good girl, and we thought we'd work out and look really good, but we planted the seed of our looks, but we're not seeing the fruit of relationship. Many of us have planted the seed of time in our word and time in prayer and time in church, but you don't see the fruit of connection with God like you thought. What I'm trying to tell you is, though we've not been in a physical drought, at some point you will be in a material drought, an educational drought, a relational drought. At some point you will be in a drought and God will look to you and say, I'm the one you're actually looking for. And in a world in which we are longing For something, God is saying, I'm the one you're looking for. And so Jesus is going to use this phrase, living water, as a means to capture the attention of people and again, jar them into knowing I am the one you actually want. Jesus uses living water twice. One point he uses it is in John chapter 4. Now, the first time Jesus uses the phrase living water in the book of John, he's using it in such a way to speak towards salvation. There it is, the woman at the well in John chapter four. But when he uses it the second time in John chapter seven, he speaks of sanctification. Now, in John chapter four, when he says this in John four, he says, um, remember this dialogue? Actually, I preached on this right when coronavirus hit and we stopped meeting together. But I preached on the woman at the well. Jesus, remember he's in this encounter with the woman and you know, he's like, if you knew the gift of God, that in John chapter four, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who is talking to you, you wouldn't say, give me a drink because you would have asked for living water. So in verse 15, the woman says, well, sir, give me that water. And then in verse 16, Jesus completely flips the script. It's like, Jesus, hold up a second. Don't go there, right? Well, look what he says in verse 16 of John chapter 4. Jesus says to her, now the woman just says, can I get this water? You talking about living water? Let me get this water. And Jesus claps back out of nowhere and says, well, go call your husband and tell him to come here. Verse 17, the woman answered him and says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You're right, you have no husband. For you've had five husbands and, no, and, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you're saying is true. Now, when you read that, it seems so embarrassing, right? But just let me, we unpack this before, but it's worth us looking at just for a second. Now, that woman could not get five husbands on her own because a woman could not get a divorce in her own volition. A woman didn't get a divorce, she got divorced from, right? And so what would actually happen is 
for a man, if he wanted a woman, obviously he'd work with the, the, man, uh, the, the father of the bride and he'd pray a dowry or a bride price. He would then have relations with her, be with her, but at that time, according to Jewish law, you could divorce a woman for any old reason. So the fact of the matter was, is once you got tired of a woman, you could get your money back. A woman had a money back guarantee at that time. So if you got tired of her, you'd get your money back and now this woman is out there on her own. This happened to her five times. So this really isn't a woman that's out there. It's a woman that's been broken and abused and used. This is, this is less of a girl that's a, a woman that's like out there sexually. This is more like sex trafficking, if anything else. So she's being used and abused now. Everybody knows that she's had five husbands. So now she's socially ostracized. No one wants to be with her. But what's happening inside of her she keeps getting married and keeps getting divorced. And now she's with a guy because she doesn't want to go that route anymore. She doesn't want to do the whole marriage thing anymore. So she's going to just, watch this, play married. And, and what she's decided is, instead of going through the brokenness of, of getting rejected, I will deal with a broken acceptance. And I'm willing to be a wife without being a wife. And I'm willing to have a husband without him being a husband. And what Jesus did is he says, look, I got living water. And she says, give me that living water. And Jesus says, go get your husband. And what Jesus actually did was he says, before you can get in touch with this reservoir of water, we got to deal with the reservoir you're dealing with now. We have to go to the well you're drinking from now. And what Jesus hints at is before you turn your life to him, you have to reject the well you've been drinking from, the, the place you've been getting purpose. See, there's some place you're going and you're drinking deeply from. There's some place you're getting purpose from. There's a well you're drawing acceptance from. Someone's holding you. Someone's making you feel like you're somebody. It might be a job. It might be politics. It might be your education. It might be a friendship. But there's a well, a reservoir that you're drawing from, and it may not be Jesus. And so what Jesus is longing for is to be that well. And that's for a person that has not yet given their life over to Christ and said, I want you to be the source of my life. I want to draw from you. And Jesus confronts her. Now, this is not just for women. This is for men. This is for all of us that have, that have, have a career that is at the center of our lives. Jesus there says to that woman, I want to replace the well you've been drinking from. So if you keep that in mind, the living water that Jesus Christ talks about there with the woman, it sets a little bit of context for what happens in John chapter 7. Now, I said this a little bit ago. Generally, when a preacher's up here preaching, they're like, y'all got to get this. And it sounds like they've been knowing this like their whole life. I didn't know this stuff till this week. Praise God. Like, I didn't know the context here till this week. So I'm happy in Jesus that I just read this this week, but I don't want to come across like, you know, because preacher's like, you got to get this. I just got this. Praise God. So I didn't know this a week ago. But this is the context. So you see what happened in John chapter 4, living water. Now Jesus is going to say living water again, but he references it differently. You got to see this. Why? Good preacher tool. Watch this. Watch this. Okay, so this is, this, is what he this is what happens. At the time in John chapter 7, Jesus actually starts to get into a conversation with his brothers because 
they're actually all gonna go to Jerusalem for a festival. Now, there were three, what you would call pilgrimage festivals that would happen. The first of which was the Passover. Now, that festival would happen and there would be a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But what you have to understand is that these pilgrimage festivals were two-toned. In one sense, they were agricultural festivals because they would be looking forward to what God could do for the community agriculturally. But they, in another sense, were looking backwards because they would be celebrating something historically amongst the Jewish people. So it was looking back and looking forward. So the Passover was not only looking back at the, the Passover festival was not only looking back at the Passover, but it was also looking forward to the grain harvest in the spring. When you, the second pilgrimage festival was Pentecost, which happened seven weeks later. That was obviously looking back at Pentecost, but it was also looking forward to the end of the grain harvest. And yet the third pilgrimage festival, when everybody came into town, was the Feast of Tabernacles. And that looked back, but it also looked forward and celebrated the autumn harvest of tree and vine. And Jesus steps in to this moment where everybody's in town. And he steps into this moment where every, he has everyone's attention. And, and this is the crazy thing. This is the part I really, really didn't know. Each day, of the feast, and there were seven days, they would have what, we, what they called a water ceremony. And in the water ceremony, there'd be a procession of priests. And these priests would descend on the south border over by the spring called the Gihon, the Gihon Spring, basically where the water would come. And the priests would take a, a golden pitcher. He'd fill it, and while he filled this golden pitcher with water, a choir would sing and they would chant Isaiah 12 and three, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So picture the scene, everybody's there, right? The priests are there, there's a choir singing about water. Then Psalms 113 and 118, the, the water would be carried back up the hill and the crowd would have branches in their hands and they'd be repeating Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And all they're doing is they're having chants about how God is going to move. When the procession arrived to the temple in Jerusalem, the priest would climb the altar. Now, again, this is the pilgrimage feast, so all the people are there. The, the, the priest would climb up to the altar steps he would pour water onto the altar that he had just gotten from the Gihon Spring. Then the crowd would circle him and they would start singing. Now that's doing a lot, right? But, but, but the reason why was they believed that if it rained and water came down, that God was gonna bless them that year. So they did all that and they're, and they're all looking up. They're all looking up and waiting for this blessing. Side note, true story, true story. I know preachers don't sound true, but this is a true story. I was in Uganda preaching during a drought and I don't remember what I was preaching on. I think I was preaching from the book of James. I don't know what it was. And I was like in an actual hut, like I was in an actual hut and I'm preaching and they're like, yeah, it's a drought. And I'm preaching my heart out. Why did it begin to rain? Y'all, they looked at me like I was somebody. 
They're like, you are T.D. Jakes. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm just a, re a regular guy. Straight up, straight up, no lie, they gave me the highest form of appreciation. They gave me a live chicken, straight up and down. They were like, you, and I was like, good looking out. You know, and I, I gave it to my driver. His name was Sezi. And then the next day, I was like, Sezi, what'd you do with the chicken? He's like, I ate it. I was like, it was crazy. It was crazy. So, but look, so again, People during a drought, they're, they're looking up to God, right? So this is what they're saying. They're doing all this. But here's the thing that really tripped me out. On the seventh day of the festival, they did that procession seven times. They went to the spring and they would go to the temple, pour out the water on the altar, sing all those songs seven times. Now, I don't know how long that took, but I'm, let's just say it takes all day, right? Now open up to John chapter seven. Watch this, I'm gonna read it slow, watch this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, the day when everybody's like, here we go. <laughs> Make it rain, Jesus, or God. Make it rain. That's all they're doing. They're looking up. Jesus, and in my imagination, I imagine that this was the, after the seventh time. In my imagination, the priest had just finished pouring out that last drip of water. In my imagination, the people are still singing and chanting and the, the chanting is dying down. In my imagination, everybody is gathered around. In my imagination, Jesus was sitting down watching and in my imagination, after they finished the seventh time and everyone is around and Jesus, look what it says, Jesus stood up and he Whispered? No, he cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his hearts will flow rivers of living water. You, you're in a drought, you're looking for water, there's going to be a time when the water's going to be in you. And there will be rivers flowing from you. Now, notice Jesus was offering living water in John 4. In John 7, Jesus saying that living water is going to flow from you. Notice the distinction in John 4. Water given, then water coming from you. Oh, we'll get to that in a second. Praise God. But notice, before I get into the next part of what Jesus is trying to communicate, Jesus is a bad boy. He just... Jesus is a rebel. Look what Jesus does. Jesus, if you look in the beginning of John chapter seven, Jesus is roundly rejected by his own brothers. If you look right before this verse, they're about to arrest Jesus. The pilgrimage is there. All the people are there. But Jesus, instead of saying, guys, let me teach you a little bit about the water. This is actually the water, if you really think about it, I mean, just wait for it, guys. Like, let me explain this. No, you know what Jesus does? Jesus oftentimes, to break the habits of religiosity, decides not to teach, but to disrupt. And oftentimes when he's trying to get eyes on him, he takes the focus away from everything that had been habitually happening 
and gets them on him. You see, maybe this coronavirus and the fact that we can't gather, maybe this is not just the fact that the, the, the president didn't do what he was supposed to do. Maybe it's not about the World Health Organization. Maybe God is disrupting our habits. Maybe God is getting our attention. And what I believe is God is pruning his church. Because in many ways, there were some people in love with the entertainment of church, not the love of Jesus. And so you can be entertained and you can watch Jesus on YouTube and you can watch Jesus on Facebook. But I know there's a remnant of people that want God and his people. You see, in many ways, he has to disrupt. And I believe this disruption is, in, is made in order to cause deeper devotion. Yes, the disruption he creates. And I love that John is the one that actually explains what this text means, but Jesus doesn't. Again, if you look back in John chapter six, Jesus confused them about the bread, but he didn't actually fully explain it. And here again in John chapter seven, John is the one explaining, but Jesus doesn't fully explain what it is. Maybe Jesus isn't always trying to get us to fully understand, but he's getting us to fully follow even when we're confused. That we seek him through our misunderstanding and confusion. John goes on here in verse 37 through 39. He says, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him are to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given. Jesus was not yet glorified. Here, Jesus is saying that the Spirit of God will indwell you. And you can have a life in the Spirit that is so powerful that it will flow from you. And you will be able to offer it to the world. This powerful spiritual life. Jesus announces, he, he announces a picture in redemptive history of the indwelling power of the Spirit in our lives. This is what happened in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there were 120 believers in Acts chapter two. The spirit of God comes down and what happens throughout the book of Acts? This church is now an unstoppable force in the advancement of the kingdom of God. The sick are healed. The demonized were set free. The dead were raised, not because they had a great teacher or they had an incredible video source or their, their worship was great. It was because each believer was filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God was flowing from them. And he is saying that rivers, rivers of living water will flow from you. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus references the, a, a similar idea in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. There, Jesus is talking about a life that flows from you, a life that is drawn from you, from the Spirit of God that flows over to other people. In Ephesians 5 and 18, 
He says, don't get drunk with wine for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled with the Spirit of God. And look what happens when the Spirit of God flows from your life. He says, you're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're singing and making melody with our hearts. We're giving thanks always and everything to God and the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't forget verse 21, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. And what he is saying is that the people of God are meant to be a river of the Holy Spirit in the midst of a drought in the community. That we are to be this people flowing. And what should be flowing from us? Look what he says in Ephesians. There should be rivers of songs flowing from us. Rivers of joy flowing from us. Rivers of thanks flowing from us. Watch this. Rivers of submission flowing from us. He fills us. One author says he fills us to spill us. He, he wants himself out into the world. Look at this. What is Jesus saying in John 7? Jesus is saying, I want a bunch of John 4 realities where you're walking up to women at wells and offering living water. Jesus has multiplied himself in John 7, saying you will now have the river inside of you flowing out to the community. And what is a revival? A revival is nothing more than when the Spirit of God has filled all believers and the community of believers has decided to live a life in the fullness of God, in the presence of God, and with the power of God, and it flows into the city. And it flows into the dry places. It flows into relationships, and it flows into marriages, and it flows into schools, and it flows into the mayor's office, and it flows into every neighborhood when the Spirit of God, and so we don't have to have an abundant bank account, and we don't have to have abundant relationships, and we don't have to have abundant resume, but if you live in the abundance of the Spirit of God, you will live the life that God has called you to, a life abundant. What if you were poor materially but rich spiritually? That's what he's saying. That's the abundant life. The abundant life is a rich spiritual life and God's called you to be spiritually wealthy. And the way you do that is through encountering the Holy Spirit on a moment by moment basis in your life. You have daily encounters because you have a river inside of you and you draw from the river you dwell in the river. You bathe in the river every day, moment by moment, because you are moment by moment thirsty. And so you get moment by moment sustenance. God's called you. Listen, God has promised you spiritual wealth. I don't know about health and wealth. That's another story. I can't call that. Actually, that's an error. Praise God. But, he, I bet, but listen, he's called you to be spiritually wealthy. Because spiritual wealth means you should be over, your, your life should flow over to your roommates. It should flow over to your marriage. He's called you to be spiritually wealthy. What is the evidence of this? <laughs> you know, when you look at the life of Peter, Peter is this cat that in, in uh, all throughout the gospels, 
Peter, all of a sudden, is this dude that, you know, he's making mistakes. He's always getting in trouble. Do you remember when he denied Jesus three times? You remember that about Peter, right? You remember when Peter had a slave girl come up to him and actually say to him, like, yo, aren't you with Jesus? He was like, nah, son, I don't even know that dude, right? Remember, I mean, if you look at Peter, all the time he's doing something foolish or he's doing something fearful. Once we get to Acts chapter 4, Look what he says, Acts 4, 13. Now when they, this is the Sanhedrin, this is a bunch of people that are against people, that are against Peter. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men or untrained men, they were astonished. And they had recognized that he had been with Jesus. The evidence of the spirit was that he looked like Jesus. They were like, there's something about that man from Nazareth that is now affecting this man, Peter, in front of me. And this boldness came out of him. That, that boldness should affect the way that we talk about Jesus, the way we live for Jesus. We stand in the midst of opposition in a culture, but we, the boldness from the spirit of God is Jesus himself flowing from our lives. That's when God uses you in a powerful way, when you're willing to take a stand for Jesus, but not because of you, but because of the Spirit of God in you. If you were to track that phrase, filling, all throughout the book of Acts, every time you see they were filled, you'll either see them praying with power or you'll see them having outreach, but you'll see them proclaiming boldly the name of Jesus. You see, what you have to understand is so many people in New York City are mesmerized by talent. And it infects the church because people tend to be mesmerized by gifts. But can I tell you that filling is better than gifting? I'd rather have a filled person than a gifted person. Because that's, that's, that's actually what the anointing is. It's not a person that has multiple gifts. I know people with multiple gifts and they live multiple days in the flesh. I'm talking about people who live and walk in the spirit of God. When the spirit of God touches your singing, watch what God does. When the spirit of God touches your job, watch what God does. When the spirit of God touches your resume, watch what God does. When the spirit of God touches your marriage, watch what God does. When the spirit of God touches your intellect, watch what God does. When the spirit of God touches your children, watch what God does. You don't need to be more having gifting. You need to get more of the spirit in your life. And it is through the spirit of God that you now are trusting him. Let me ask you a practical question. In the book, River Dwellers, Rob Reimer asked this question of his church. He said only 30% of his church in a survey could say yes to this. He asked this question, do you spend at least 15 minutes a day, four days a week alone with God? 15 minutes a day, four days a week. That's round about an hour a week with the Lord, right? And that's not meant to convict you. That's just saying you are actually quenching your thirst from something else. There, there's no, there, you, you're spending 15 minutes a day with something and it's probably the internet, praise God. And so the fact of the matter is, I love what it says in Jeremiah. You see what Jesus did 
was he went into this festival where everybody was worried about a drought. Shh, let me put it, say it a different way. Everybody was worried about the dry season when nothing was working out. Everybody was worried about the dry season where you could see someone dead from dehydration. Everybody was worried about the dry season where you might see your cistern have nothing in it. Everybody was worried about the dry season. But Jesus was saying you can be abundant in a dry season. You can have a river flowing from you while every physical river is dried up. What he says in Jeremiah 17, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water and sends out, listen, he sends out his roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes for it's, it leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. It does not matter. It does not matter who's in the president's office. It does not matter when you get your job back. It does not matter because what, it, that, what that man does, it pictures a man like a tree sending out its roots. And when nothing else works in your life, you're gonna send out your roots to a stream. And it will be the streams of living water that you send it out to. You can be fruitful in any season. You can be fruitful in every season. You can be abundant in every season. You can be abundant in every season, no matter the circumstance. And as I close, look at what Jesus, rather Paul, says in Galatians. He says in Galatians 6, and I just, wanna, I just want the church, hear me church, you don't have to play yet. You can go ahead. Galatians 6, listen, for whatever one sows, that one he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Listen, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Jesus says, or rather Paul says, that there's a time when you will sow, but you will not see. You will sow and you will not see. But in the midst of your sowing, there's a different way to sow. In other words, in the midst of a drought, you can either sow to the spirit or you can sow to the flesh. And he says, if you, in the midst of nothing happening, because he says in due season, meaning it, there's come a point where you're gonna see the reward, in due season, you are gonna see the crops of the spirit or the crops of the flesh. Meaning you can sow in prayer, you can sow in fasting, you can sow in submission, you can sow in giving. And in due season, you will see a harvest of joy, peace, patience, goodness. But you can sow in the flesh. You can sow in anger. You can sow in gossip. You can sow in frustration. You can sow in dissension. You can sow all that. And he says, in due season, oh, you'll reap a reward. I see a lot of people right now bragging 
about the type of Christian they are. And it, it goes like this. It's a version like this. I'm saved, but you can catch these hands, right? Some version of that. And I think, I think it's funny. I, I honestly, I think it's funny. I think it's kind of funny. Like, you know, I'm saved, but I ain't no punk. But there came a point where I started realizing some of you actually do live that way. Like that, that, that t-shirt is actually the way you live your Christian life. You have a brand of Christianity that is a pick and choose Christianity. You see, right now, there are a lot of people I'm angry at, particularly in this politically charged moment. And when Jesus says, let you pray for your enemies, to sow to the spirit in the midst of dealing with tension, I don't want to do that. But see, we've created Jesus, my homeboy, who rides shotgun and actually drives around and we try to find the people that we're mad at and clap on them because Jesus is in the passenger seat and he's with me because I, I love Jesus, but you can catch these hands. But Jesus, the king, tells us to do things we don't want to do. He causes us to live ways that we don't want to live, but we sow to the spirit. Listen, sowing to the spirit is sowing in surrender. It's sowing in such a way where I give my love up. It's sowing in such a way where I'm going down this Calvary road. And when, listen, when the church starts living controlled by the Spirit of God and we offer peace and patience and kindness and goodness, we offer something completely different. But when we offer the flesh, when we offer the flesh, we are basically offering people an empty cup in the midst of a drought. And he says, each of us are called to offer living water in a dry and weary land. And I pray tonight that if you don't know Jesus, that you would take that living water, that you would observe the reservoir of purpose and comfort you've been going to and make a decision. I'm going to transfer the well and the reservoir I've been taking from. But tonight, does your walk with God look more like a dry and weary land or does it look like an abundant river flowing? Does your heart flow with the patience and the presence of God? Tonight, I want you to recommit yourself to walking moment by moment in the Spirit. I want you to recommit yourself just like that tree planted by the water. I pray that you would reprioritize your life around your walk with God, not around your career or even your friendships. And when the people of God do that, revival flows from us. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for the work of the Spirit. We thank you for the rivers that flow from us. We thank you for the spirit of the living God. God, we are your people and there, is, there are rivers. There's a potential river in every believer. There's spiritual abundance waiting to flow from every believer. And so tonight, let the dam break. Let the river flow. Let your people pour out on this city. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 
We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.